You're listening to the Fresh Air Sports Hub. Here comes Usain Bolt! Usain Bolt storming through! He takes it again! Down goes Frazier! Down goes Frazier! He hits one! Oh, what a goal! It's Lillard! He got the shot off! Oh, my God! Live on freshair.org.uk Hello and welcome to this week's Sports Hub Show here on Fresh Air with me, Peter Johnson. I'm joined once again by Alfie Steiner. This week we'll be talking about England international fixtures, the proposed Premier League reform, Sky charging Premier League fixtures, a preview for this weekend's game, and technology permitting, maybe a bit of a chat about F1 as well, if Abby eventually wants us. Hi Alfie, had a good week? Yes, I've had a, had a very decent week, thank you very much. I mean... The absence, I'm going to say absence of football, but I haven't really been too involved in the international break. Uh, I mean, I haven't, I've been busy when England have been playing, obviously I've been keeping up with them, but I just find it slightly tiresome. And to be fair, it has been a, a welcome break. I'm looking forward to the Premier League returning, but it's quite nice not checking my fancy football every 30 seconds, stressing about what moves to make and yeah. you know all the all the frenzied transfer activity is sort of on pause. So it's been a nice uh, breather, I suppose. But in terms of football, yeah, my week's been quite nice. There was a uh, there was a brief phase just when Southgate took over. I just started enjoying watching England again, but that kind of those that honeymoon periods kind of finished now. <laughs> It's just like I see, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't watch the game yesterday, but I see the starting lineup, and don't get me wrong, he, uh, I think he announced a bigger squad than normal, but he was starting with three right backs, and as much as they're the most experienced players, perhaps, and he, you know, I don't question that Southgate is the guy to make the decisions, but I just think he's got such a big squad, maybe just make it slightly more interesting. It's just the the, the starting eleven yesterday didn't really fill me with with excitement I mean you know the game before at least like Calvert-Lewin and Saka were making their debuts Grealish sort of tore it up a bit but um, yeah I suppose a win's a win <laughs> yeah I mean to be fair it's only the second time that England have ever beaten the team ranked number one in the world the first time in a competitive match the last time was a friendly against Spain in 2011 um, mm-hmm. I think I went to bed early that day I was only about nine so I didn't even watch that so it was <laughs> quite a quite a historic day for me watching that game yesterday. But um, yeah, as you say, it was a very defensive lineup. But do you think kind of the positive of grinding out such a result probably kind of outweighs the fact that it wasn't a great performance? Because I mean, we're never going to have to absolutely. We're never going to have to play anyone more difficult than that. It's not. It's not a case of oh, just wait till you've got tougher opposition. That is the toughest opposition there is at the moment. And definitely play great and grind out a result. So, and you can argue, you know, I I, I said that I. I lied. I did watch a tiny bit of it, and I sat down and I said to myself, "Oh, you know, England are playing a you know their strongest lineup essentially." But then I realised they weren't. They didn't start with Kane. Sterling wasn't around. Sancho, arguably, who starts on the bench. So it was a slightly, you know, tweaked uh, starting eleven. And I think from what I saw, Belgium were completely on top. And so the fact that we can, you know, get a penalty and get quite lucky with a deflected goal, but as you say, grind out the result. I think it's nothing to shake your head up and look down on. Um, in the grand scheme of things, how important is it? Probably not that important. I feel like all of these friendly games are slightly... I, I, I don't... I struggle to find a proper definitive meaning for them. I mean, maybe it's just because I'm not, not very patriotic. But yeah, as you say, very important to... Once we get in the lead, 
to grind out the result against a dangerous Belgian team, albeit you know they, they weren't starting Eden Hazard or anything like that, but it's still a very strong team on paper. So I think good on the boys, good on the England. I mean, I genuinely get the feeling, I don't know how true this is, I've not looked into it, but I genuinely get the feeling that England tend to peak in the months after major tournaments. Like, we're never quite there mm. for the big games. But the <laughs> Nations League that's coming around next year takes place in October. Just to, It's kind of the next round of international fixtures after the Euros. So, it's obviously, our, all eyes are going to be on the Euros. But it is a trophy that, you know, I feel like yeah. it might just peak in time for. So, yeah, it's better than, better than nothing. It's good to win these games. Absolutely. I think, I think because England fans have been deprived, I mean, I say that in a relative sense, but... You know, there's been so much potential and we've had such great players down the years, but obviously when it comes down to it, we always seem to fall short. So I think the public excitement for the current crop of players has over the last few years sort of maybe got slightly hysterical. And, you know, don't get me wrong, I think England have a really promising roster of, of young players and loads of options coming through. But I do think, you know, perhaps... Um, re-evaluating expectations for England. I mean, again, I sound just quite cynical and, and, and negative about the whole thing, but I never feel that, and maybe it's because I haven't experienced it growing up, but I've never felt that proper connection with England. And yeah, there was that 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 good run in the, it was the World Cup, wasn't it, when we got yeah. to the semis? That, that was excellent. But even then, I just thought, well, this is sort of as good as it's going to get. I just never think we're quite good enough. Yeah. And... I don't know, maybe it will come. And this is a, f a generation of players who, you know, the, perhaps the best ones haven't even come through yet. But yeah, you know, beat the first, the best team officially in the world. Uh, happy days. What well, more can you ask for? About the, the new crop of players we've got coming through. I mean, uh, well, mm. first of all, um, let's start with the omission of Grealish. I mean, Southgate, I think it's quite well documented, has some kind of fanatic obsession with Mason Mount, which paid off to an extent today. Um, I think he won man of the match as well. Um, mm. But that's kind of maybe depriving Grealish of an opportunity to break into the team. So I don't quite know what, what, what your views are on that. Well, again, I didn't watch, I didn't watch the game. Who did we play? I can't remember right now who we played before Belgium. Was it Denmark? No, we played Someone. Denmark. Anyway, last week. Uh, yeah, so Grealish played, started and played really well and he was man of the match. And I was reading afterwards and I think, you know, Grealish provides something that, that England don't really have and Grealish is quite a unique player. And yeah, I mean, look, Gareth Southgate's obviously going to rotate and I think the point you make about Mason Mount, he's got to be doing something right. If, if Southgate loves him and, and obviously Frank, Frank Lampard down yet so oh but yeah Pickford Pickford should I mean the, the only thing is he's his club form so erratic he does tend to be all right for England again I don't watch it sort of really intensely but I don't seem to it doesn't appear that he makes the same mistakes that he does at a club level for for England in any case yeah the team selections are slightly strange I think it is about rotation and the fact that he selected a squad with quite quite a large number of players for competition for places. And so maybe Grealish, you know, playing and starting and, and starring in the first game, it's slightly more understandable that he didn't have a part to play in the second game, but he did play really well in the first one. So it's slightly strange that he was completely absent. And I mean, if you're looking at it from, from within the England setup, kind of these team selections, it may even make a bit more sense. I mean, 
to, to you know to the general public choosing Pickford or not choosing Grealish. Mm. But Southgate only spends what so many weeks the squad every season, and in if absolutely in limited weeks, if he doesn't see Pickford making mistakes, which he hasn't done for England, and if he sees Mason mm. Mount putting in the you know, the best performances in training or whatever, then that's all he's got to go off. Well, it is. You know, there are some players who. I think for England, it's it's almost been it's been the reverse for a long time. We have English players, especially you think of the crop, like the two thousand and four tournament. We had Gerard, uh, Scholes, Lampard, who were tearing it up club level, and then they get to internationals, and it's just like what what's happening, not not performing so well. And I think there have been examples down the years of of players. I mean, the one that comes to mind is Danny Welbeck, who absolutely loved to play for England and then gets back to Arsenal or Man United and he's slightly inconsistent. So are some players who who will play better for, for their country. You think of Olivier Giroud for France. He yeah, of course, yeah. You know, he he impresses for Chelsea and, and it's inevitable that he'll come back. But you know, he's now just only behind Thierry Henry in France's top scoring uh like record. So I think, you know, managers for national teams will have their, I feel like their, their systems are quite rigid. They're slightly unchanged, you know, albeit with the gaps in between. And I think it's perhaps more understandable why they stick with certain players um, ir- irrelevant to their, their, their club form. Um, obviously uh, you'd like to see a bit more of a balance, but as you say, Pickford's a prime example. He's, you know, he's built a reputation as being a pretty good goalkeeper, mainly because of his his form for England. I know he was good at Sunderland before, but he hasn't been very good for Everton thus far. So, yeah, who knows? I mean, um, I'm just thinking players who had the first starts for England, who played, obviously beat Wales 3-0 last week, didn't we? And we had uh, three, oh, was Wales. That's the one. three players scoring the first goals, Calvert-Lewin, Cody, and third one escapes me now. Scored his first goal for England, but it's... Um, Calvert-Lewin's an interesting one for me because obviously Kane's not played so much the two games so far. Um, kind of Southgate's kind of much more understanding with Mourinho, I think. Um, yeah. But Calvert-Lewin certainly uh, certainly sets up to the plate. So it'll be interesting to see come next summer kind of what, what Southgate... Definitely. Well, he hasn't really been... Obviously, he started this season incredibly well. But prior to that, he wasn't really... really it was Kane, and if not Kane, then it would be Jamie Vardy. But then obviously Jamie Vardy retired. So if it wasn't Vardy, then it would be Abraham, and then Abraham sort of fallen away. So a space has sort of opened up for 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 uh, Calvert Lewin because you know Kane's not going to be able to play every single game. You know he's he was slightly sidelined. I know he came on for the final twenty minutes, but he had a slight injury. Apparently he picked up during the week. Um, so yeah, I think the the opportunities there for Calvert Lewin if he keeps playing well for. Everton, he is definitely a sort of shoe-in for, for an option up top. You know, you've got Danny Ings there as well. But Calvert-Lewin at the moment is, is pretty much the number two from what I can I can make out. And yeah. so he should be. He's been playing really well. Rashford tends to play a bit further out wide. Ra- yeah, exactly. Rashford's a weird one as well because I, I still think he'd probably start over Sancho. And I know a lot of people would maybe think that that's strange. But I think... I also think that Rashford perhaps is better when he's like the protagonist and when you've got Kane and Sterling. I struggle to see what... I still don't really know what Rashford's best position is because I've seen him playing on the left for United and I don't really... I don't know what he thinks his best position is either. But yeah, Calvert-Lewin should definitely be in with a, in with a chance of, of making a 
a big uh, contribution to the national side for sure. One of them cliches, isn't it? It's not. It's not a bad problem to have. Trying to work out. No, absolutely not. Attacking players into a team. Uh, we'll just finish. Uh, just before we move on to talk about the proposed Premier League reform. Uh, sure. In that, um, I just saw uh, it was kind of a poll on Sky a couple of days ago as to which um, who people thought England's number one goalkeeper should be. I'm seven percent mm. of people voted for Pickford. Seven percent. Henderson got three percent, and he's not even playing at club level at the moment. Yeah, uh, that was a strange little. I thing. think that's just more a reflection of of people's uh, yeah opinion of Pickford I mean, if I mean saving a penalty in a World Cup shootout it's only going to buy you a certain amount of time mm. yeah absolutely I think the kind of character as well that Pickford is he's he's very I find him quite funny to watch I've seen a few yeah. like uh, video co- uh, compilations and you know he's he's a bit of a hothead and he's very confident in in the way that he plays but he just he seems to spill it just so often and make some just well the cliche goes schoolboy errors and you just think can you act in a certain way when you play in a certain way and I think he's 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 on the on the boundary of becoming a bit of a joke I want to say and obviously not because he's you know he's an Everton starting keeper and and England's number one but he is a bit of a laughing stock I think these days and I'd like to see him turn it around but you know we've got other good keepers as well and who knows? I mean, Henderson's a great keeper, but doesn't really look like he's going to have too much football this year. Um, but yeah. Okay, let's move on. England obviously playing Denmark on Thursday evening in their fourth of six Nations League fixtures, and then they've still got to play Iceland and Belgium. Ooh, just, uh, just, just to jump in slightly, that I still think it's slightly strange that you know, in, with COVID going on, what is the importance of all these friendlies and, and Nations League? Surely, with the given how important it is to have the Premier League on, surely you just, is it not more sensible to be like, right, we'll, we'll, we'll reschedule these for another time. And I know that maybe there's not space in the football calendar, but you know, the ming, like the, the meetings of different players are traveling around. It's just bound to end in a bit of a disaster and it just makes life for footballers and, and, and sides slightly more complicated. Anyway, that's just what I think. <laughs> I mean, I think as well, just, just, just to finish on that, particularly with the Euros starting so soon after the season finishes, these perhaps, perhaps, no, yeah, that's, that's a very good point, actually. Well, um, all right, then let's move on to the proposed Premier League reform now. Just to explain, um, for the, our two listeners, um, <laughs> um, Manchester United and Liverpool, it's come out, have been leading proposals for Premier League reform. The headline change, which would be uh reducing the league from 20 to 18 teams like we see in the Bundesliga in Germany. And this could possibly come into effect as soon as the 2022-2023 season. A lot of 20s in there. Um, so what's your view, first of all, Alfie, just before we get into a bit more of the, like, the financial effects that yeah. have on reducing the league to 18 teams? Mm, I mean, you know, it's a clear... I think it's quite obvious who the main beneficiaries are going to be of the, the, these proposed changes. And obviously it's going to be the, the stereotypical top six. And, you know, I was, I was hearing today and, and listening and reading about it. And, you know, it's obviously a certain number of clubs, like you say, Manchester United, Liverpool leading, leading the, um, leading the, the cause. And I think, I mean, I don't really mind about, potential changes to the league because, you know, I'm slightly biased as an Arsenal fan. I feel like, you know, we've been in the league for quite a while and it's not going to make that much of a difference to 
you know, football in general. But I think when you actually delve into it, it's a clear sign of certain clubs just basically trying to assure, make assurances about their position, their standing, their their financial um, earnings. And it's just a bit unfair, I think, and slightly unjust. It's not really how the Premier League should work. We'd like to think of it as a bit of a democracy, even though the bigger clubs will, will have a bigger say in and get bigger rewards. But yeah, that whole 18 team thing, I think, you know, I don't think anything's particularly bad about the about the way that it works at the moment. So maybe why why are we changing it? But then you think, well, why is it Manchester United and Liverpool leading it? They're clubs who are heavily reliant on certain types of income, and obviously they've been hit quite badly by COVID. It's interesting that you know Chelsea and Man City aren't sort of the names being mentioned who are sort of you know quite quite loudly backing them up. So I think. You know, it's, it's obviously about self-interest and, yeah, there are there are both positives and negatives, which I'm sure we'll get on to. Yeah, I mean, just from a purely footballing perspective, if you look at the Premier League this season and imagine it as 18 teams, then I think that, you know, the two teams who wouldn't be there would be Fulham and West Brom, hypothetically, which I don't think would be any great loss. Mm. But then when you look at the um, yeah. purely footballing perspective, then I think when you look at, you know, when, they, when it's down to 18 teams, you've got teams suddenly in, 12th, 13th, 14th in the league or in a relegation battle. I just think it's slightly mm. unfair so you could be, you know, on the verges of the top 10 of the Premier League and still find yourself in a relegation battle. There's something that doesn't well, yeah, right with me. But And a, an example just springs to mind, you know, you th- as you say, the, the, um, the difference that, you know, uh, getting rid of those last two spots would make. You think about Leicester the year before they won the title. They were, yeah. they escaped relegation by, by, well, they were very lucky to avoid it and it was a great escape and then they win the league and, you know, if those things change, you're sort of removing the distinct possibility of anything like that happening again. It's a, it gives far... It's, it's just less risky and I think big clubs want that and I, it's just... It doesn't sit well with, I think, what, what a lot of football fans have grown up believing and thinking about the Premier League. It's sort of this all-inclusive, oh, it's, it's anyone's game. Every game is a battle and it's just... It sounds as if certain uh influencers are having having second thoughts about how risky it can be which i think takes away a lot from from what football as a whole and the premier league stands for yeah i mean i think as well if you take if you take out a couple of teams from the premier league then and put them in the championship you're gonna have so many more teams in the championship have kind of accumulated all this money from being in the premier league the likes of you know Brighton, for example, might be some of the first to go. We've kind of accumulated all mm. the wealth over the last few seasons. And then you just have the same few teams that's off the championship every season. I don't think you'd see the opportunity for the likes of Huddersfield, for example, maybe to break through mm. and get a short spell in the Premier League. Or Brentford came so close last season. You might start seeing less and less of that. So that's perhaps... It. Well, exactly. It, it, it become, there's less jeopardy and, and it's more predictable, perhaps. And for those who are you know, on the borderline, I think you just wouldn't want to be on the borderline between being comfortable in the Premier League and then facing a relegation battle. You'd like to think that you can earn that that sort of distinguish uh, that that difference. But, you know, I think these changes are driven from the top and those at the bottom, I feel that they'll feel quite quite unfairly treated, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, we'll come into that. I mean, just um, one of the more positive reforms, I think it's fair to say, that was being proposed was that 
25% of the Premier League's annual income, which is, you know, up into the billions, um, mm. would be given to the EFL. Um, so perhaps that is kind of a, an acknowledgement from the top teams. Like obviously, in the long term, it probably does benefit them, but perhaps an, an, an acknowledgement that they do kind of have responsibility to, to the rest of the league. Yeah, there's certainly aspect, you know, as, as you say, that... that um, and it, it's almost like that's been released in a way that, that market or, or puts a context to, oh, these changes are so drastic and, and, oh, God, how can we ever think that these are good things? And then you have with it, well, it will benefit the EFL and spread the money out a bit more, which is a nice counterbalance for those who are trying to make the changes. But, you know, I, I think if I'm right in saying it would remove... Uh, I think it's uh, Community Shield would no longer exist. I'm pretty sure the Carabao Cup would be scrapped yeah, as well. Or there are cer- yeah. certain differences to the to the footballing calendar, um, which a lot of people resent. A lot of people resent the fact that you have to have the Community Shield and the Carabao Cup. It's just too much fixture congestion, and you know, it's the priorities become slightly skewered. Um, but yeah, the the fact that you know the the clubs lower down who who desperately need to get in on some of the Premier League's wealth would potentially be a good good thing about it. Yeah. All right, I've just seen Addy's join us there, so we'll have a bit of a time for a chat about Formula One later when we've gotten to finish the football. A historic weekend in Formula One as well, so we'll chat about that a little bit later on. <laughs> um, just as well, one final thing, I'm just slightly conscious of time because we've got a lot to talk about, sure. surprisingly, from the international break. Um, <laughs> these reform proposals they're going to be put to the vote for nine Premier League there's going to be nine current Premier League clubs get to vote on them and they need six of nine votes to pass now these nine mm. clubs I don't know if you've seen these nine teams are obviously established big six and then the other three teams that have been chosen to have special status in deciding are Everton, West Ham and Southampton uh, and the reason I bring this up is that you've got teams like Newcastle and Aston Villa who've played in more Premier League seasons than Man City who don't get mm. to vote on like something that could potentially mm. have quite a huge impact on them because they're kind of like off and down the bottom of the Premier League. Um, yeah, that was I noticed as much as say on that, but that's something that I saw that I thought was no. Uh, I, I was I was under the impression that it was the nine clubs who had been you know most present in the Premier League, you know, throughout history or whatever. Yeah. But that I picked some of them. Don't cry. Yeah, strange, strange one. There we go. Anyway. Um, we've been uh, talking for a little while now. I think it's time to just break it up with a song. I don't know what song yet. We'll see when I edit it which one it decides to put in. <laughs> we're back in a few seconds to talk about this weekend's Premier League fixtures. No 
sorry for being so untrue. Well, you can cry me a river, mm, cry me a river, 'cause I cried a river over you. You drove me. Nearly out of my head. While you never shed a tear, babe. Remember, I remember all that you said. You told me love was true for the end. Told me you were true with me, and now you say you love me. That you do. Why don't you cry me a river? Cry me a river, 'cause I cry a river over you. But you lie. Now you say you love me. Well, just to prove that you do. Come on and cry me a river. Oh, cry me a river. I cried a river over you.